Say hun. Because the angels told him to. Is that what you? <laughs> yeah, the angel Gabriel told Mary and Joseph thought had a dream that they were going to name their son Jesus, right? So God was telling them what to name their son. And you know what comes to my mind when I hear that? That God told them to name their son Jesus? What I think of is what does the name Jesus mean? It means um, the great of all the names. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And it means, um, also means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord is salvation. And Jesus means to save, to rescue, and to deliver, right? And so that's what Jesus did. All from his birth, we know that he came to save, to rescue us from, from um, uh, hell and to God's judgment, to save us from sin, right, to, res- to deliver us from sin. So all from his birth, we knew what he was, he was coming for, right? And so you know what I think the greatest prayer at Christmas time is? It's a prayer of thanksgiving. And that's what I want to pray this morning, okay? Will you, will you join me in a prayer of thanksgiving? But we have thankful hearts, right? Because of Christmas, we have thankful hearts. It's a hard job up here, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, there's all, yeah. And they're so cute. But anyway, so let's pray a, thank, a prayer of thanksgiving, okay? <clears throat> Father God, we do thank you for the greatest gift ever given, uh, your son. We thank you, Lord, uh, for his coming, for his, his miracle birth, for his, um, his sacrificial life, uh, his atoning death, and his resurrection. And knowing, Lord, he's always there to intercede for us. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for Christmas, Lord. We thank you for all the, the, the celebrations that we go through, the, the gifts that are given, the, uh, the decorations, the joy. But, Lord, most of all, we thank you for your son. And um, we just thank you and praise you for that. And we, we want to remember that this Christmas, what it's all really all about. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And we, we pray, and we pray that, Lord, Lord, you'd get the glory in this season. And all the God's children say, He said, uh, Jesus said, let the children come to me. He didn't say it would be easy. (laughs) We will be looking at the second part of Romans 8.30. But I would like you to turn, please, to Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And we celebrate this moment in history, this time of year, the moment when Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. His parents, as the children reminded us, did as they were told, named him Jesus. It says he, Jesus, will be the one to save his people. They will not save themselves. He will be the one to save them. It says he will save them. It's a certainty. He will not fail to accomplish what he came to do. It says he will save his people. They need rescuing. Our sins do this to us. Our sins against the holy God earn us the wrath of God. Earn us the, the punishment that comes from being enemies with God. We need rescue from our sins. We need rescue from the wrath of God. And Jesus is the one to do the rescuing. He's not just merely forgiving, although it's a part of it. He's not building a social club. He is saving them from their sins. He will save his people. We've been discussing this a lot lately. Not everyone will come to know this salvation, but those who are his, his sheep. Who knows who are his and who are not? He does. The shepherd knows his sheep. He will save his people from their sins. It's a righteousness issue. It's a holiness issue that is putting his people in eternal peril. And he will save his people because of their sins. And then the angel tells Joseph, this will fulfill the prophecy that his name will mean God with us. God is who he is. This will be who's doing the saving because only God can do a saving of this kind of magnitude. This is to whom his people belong. They belong to God. God with us. He didn't just rescue. He didn't just save. He didn't just cancel the debt. He came to dwell with his people, to dwell within his people. And he continues to dwell with them, to empower them, to sustain them, to preserve them. A lot of theology in a small little passage like that. 
Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to dwell with us. This is real. It's history. It is the reality of what we live in now. And now as Christians, we see this unfold in all of life. Yet underneath it, supporting it, the foundation of it, if you will, is a passage like Romans 8.30, providing the behind-the-scenes details of how God accomplished this from eternity past, how he's saving us now, and a glimpse into what that end state will be or what he is saving us unto. When he saves, it involves all of Romans 8.30, which reads, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So today, I would like to fill in the gaps between the predestined and the glorified when it comes to our salvation. All of the things that Paul has taught us in Romans, what the Bible has taught that God is doing and what God has done in our salvation. We refer to it as the order of salvation, and the importance of it is huge. Mix up the order, and it changes who's responsible for salvation and who gets the glory for salvation. It changes how we understand God and how we understand this world and how we understand our life and how we are to live our lives. There's a reason Paul went from predestined to called and from called to justified and from justified to glorified in that order. So if you were ever to save one of the bulletins, this one would be the one to save. It's the same one as you're going to have tonight, but it has the definitions. I put the definitions of these words. We use the fancy theological and the Bible uses these terms. So we want to Make sure we understand clearly what these things mean. If you need one, the bulletins are on the baptismal in the back there. These terms that Paul talks about that we use constantly, they're terms that describe God's order of salvation. We've discussed many of them in these last few weeks, these last few months. Most of these acts of God happen instantaneously when we come to saving faith, but the first one does not. That is predestination, and we discussed this in detail last couple weeks. It is God's foreordained determination and choosing of who will receive and come to saving faith, his election of his people by his grace, which he ordained before the world was formed. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. How do we know Those are whom God chose in Jesus before they began. It is because they believe. Acts 13, 48 says, When the Gentiles heard this, 
they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So if they were appointed, chosen by God, they believed. They come to saving faith. But before those whom God predestined or appointed to eternal life can believe, they must be called. And calling is God's effectual speaking through human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond to saving faith. This is us sharing the gospel. God uses us. He uses his people who he opens their eyes and they see his glory and they fall in love with their God. He doesn't just sit there and say, there, have a good, happy life and your eternity will be secured. He calls them to go and share the gospel with the lost, with everyone to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Those whom he predestined, he called. He sent someone or he sent something to share the gospel, that they are sinners who have sinned against God, who have incurred the wrath of God. But Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you put your faith, if you put your trust in him, that that life he lived was for you and the death he died on the cross was for you, for the punishment for your sins, if you believe in that, if you trust in that, then you will be forgiven. We share that gospel. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 8 and 9, talking about this calling, it's from a darkness to light. Talking about unbelievers, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, that you, this is why you are, he, what he does with his people of his own possession, whom he chose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. He didn't just save you to save you. He, he saved you so that you would proclaim how great he is. What a time to proclaim how great he is. What a time of the year. What a time in history. What a time that our country and our world needs to hear Jesus to hear his excellencies proclaimed. So when God predestines, he calls. And when he calls, we believe. But before we can believe, we need help. Lots of people physically hear the gospel preached. They hear the words just as you just heard them right now. Just as people who are listening online heard them or will hear them. But not everybody can hear it and receive it and believe it. They reject it. We reject it. Some of you have rejected it. Some of you have rejected it in the past, but God has overwhelmed you and you believe it now. So what happens? We hear it and reject it because it's foolishness to us or it's a stumbling block. We think we understand life and what this world is all about and what is right, what is wrong, and what is good and what is evil. And we read these things in the Bible and they become a stumbling block to us because they oppose what we, these pre-held thoughts and notions of how the world works. And we can't get past it. 
We need something to happen to us and something to happen in us in order for this calling to become effectual in us. We need to be born again. We need a new heart. We need our spiritual eyes opened, or your Bible may refer to it as being quickened. It's called regeneration. It's the secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. We come from the darkness to the light. We come from death to life. We come from being blind to now being able to see once we heard about God, we did not believe, we did not see these things as glorious, we did not love God, but he opens our eyes. And it's a miracle when he does this. We need this in order to be able to see, to be able to see that we're sinners, to be able to see that Christ is a righteous Savior. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm sorry for you people sitting over here. If it feels like I'm looking over here, everybody else is over here. We'll balance that out tonight. So those whom he predestines, he calls. And those whom he calls, and those whom he calls must be born again to see him. Jesus Christ, God with us, saving his people, opening their eyes. Once we see him, once we see God, our experience, this is where we mostly experience this from a human level, where our faith begins, where conversion happens. Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call. It is a willing response to the gospel call. God is not forcing this response. But remember, until you are born again, until you have a heart that wants to know God and live for God, you will never choose God. He has to give that new heart. And once he does, there's a willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Our conversion is what most people are referring to when they say they chose Jesus or they accepted Jesus or they invited or allowed Jesus into their hearts. That is the experience that they felt on this side of salvation history. But as you've seen, it's much different. God had a plan for you to be his. And nothing, not even you, was going to stop him from saving you. Conversion encompasses both our faith and repentance because both are essential and go hand in hand. There is no salvation without faith. There is no salvation without repentance or turning from your sins. Before salvation, our our sins, we're chasing after our sins. We're going this way. Jesus comes on the cross dying for our sins and we got a choice to make. We can keep going this way or we can... Go towards faith in Jesus Christ. We can keep following our sins, following the ways of the world, or we can go in faith towards Jesus Christ. And that turn towards Jesus and away from sin is repentance. And we go towards him in faith. They go hand in hand. They go together. One does not happen without the other. 
You are absolutely commanded to have both faith and repentance, and neither of them can happen unless God grants them to you as a free gift. This comes after you're born again, but not before you are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift stemming from your regeneration. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace, this is God's, grace is God's unmerited favor. You did nothing to earn his favor. That's what grace is. By his favor that you didn't earn, you have been saved through faith. Faith is the means in which God used to save you. This is not your own doing. This grace through faith is not your own doing. You did nothing to earn it. You didn't clean yourself up. You didn't make the wise choice. You you were not better than anybody else out there who doesn't believe. God gave it to you as a gift. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no man may, so that no one may boast. God does it. God gets the glory. Praise God. It's a reason to praise him. So faith is a gift and repentance is a gift. If then, Acts 11, 17 and 18, if then God gave the same gift to them, he's talking about the Gentiles, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Faith is a choice. It's a willing choice. It's one we make when God opens our eyes at new birth. So that faith is a gift because he opened our eyes. And that repentance is a gift. What a gift. You're chasing after sin. It's going to lead to death and destruction and your eternal peril. And God gives you repentance so that you can turn from that and towards Jesus Christ. That's a gift. So when we believe, when we turn from our sins, we exercise the gift given to us. And we are declared righteous. And we call this justification. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he forgives our sins in Christ, grants to us Christ's righteousness, and declares us genuinely righteous in his sight. It is the great exchange. He, innocent, perfect, holy, on the cross, takes the punishment for our sins. And in exchange, he grants to us his righteous life. So as God looked at him as holy and perfect and sinless, he now looks at us that way. What a gift. What a gift that God would look at us that way. Even now, even as we've woke up this morning and the temptation to sin or the sin comes right on, amen? God still looks at you like he looks at Jesus. The love he has, the care he has because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of your justification. So now... We're righteous. We're in right standing with God. His wrath is no longer upon us because Jesus took that wrath on the cross. 
we're welcomed into the family of God. We are adopted. And adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. We become his children. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Enemies, enemies of God, who spent their whole life denying him, rejecting him, chasing their sin, chasing what they want, chasing the pleasures of the world, making themselves his enemies because of Jesus are now children of God, of the Most High God. It's amazing. We get to pray to him and call him Father. Jesus granted us access to pray to the holy God of the universe who knows every star by name. And call him Father. These things, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, they usually happen pretty instantaneously. Usually when our eyes are open and we see the magnitude of our sin and we see the magnitude of the gift of Jesus Christ. We confess our sins and we repent and we're welcomed into God's family. It happens like that. There's no long delay between them. But this now is where we live our lives. As children of God, justified, born again, believers, all by grace, Jesus came and saved his people. Now Jesus, Emmanuel, dwells with us. The rest of our Christian life is our sanctification, living for Jesus. Our lives are not our own anymore. We live for Christ. We don't live, even though we're tempted by all these things that we were tempted by before, we now have the power of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and we live for Jesus Christ. And we're not perfect, and he will show us and remind us that constantly on how much we need him. And how great that gift of salvation. We thought it was just for past sins. No, no, no. It's past, present, and future. So he'll show us how much that gift of salvation is. But we live in our sanctification. Our growing in holiness. Our growing in Christ-likeness. Our growing in godliness. Sanctification is the process of becoming more consecrated to God as the Spirit empowers us to be increasingly transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Continues the rest of our lives. We would love it if we come to saving faith and now we're holy and we're perfect and we sin no more. It's not the case. It's not the way he planned it. We need to be, we were declared righteous in our justification and now we're being practically made righteous in our sanctification. So you've been declared holy. And this is where we live in the New Testament. The Bible instructs us how to live holy. And Paul's letters, most of the letters are not written to unbelievers on things they must do to become Christians. They're written to Christians. You see a lot of put off that old way of life. 
That's not who you are anymore because God has done all this and put on this new way of life and consider that old way dead and consider this new way life. We see that all over the New Testament. And this is encouragement for us. When we read the New Testament, it should be encouragement to us of that we're growing now in our sanctification. And you're going to read it like I read it, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, that's not me. And then we come to the Lord in prayer. That's the Holy Spirit. He come to the Lord in prayer, and he shows us these things. And you come to church, and the pastor stands, and he shares the word of God with you, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within you meets the Holy Spirit's words from the Bible. And God opens your eyes to new things every week, every day when you're reading your Bible. And you grow, and you grow in holiness, and you grow in godliness, and this is your sanctification. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Fear meaning reverence of God. He's no one to be messed with. So question, do you think that God who predestines and then God who calls those whom he predestines. And then God who gives new life to those whom he calls. And then God who converts, gives faith and repentance to those whom he gives new life. And then God who declares righteous to those whom he's given faith and repentance. And that God who adopts and makes a part of their family those who he's declared right. And that God who sanctifies and makes practically holy those whom he's called his children do you think he's going to let any of those sheep fall away? He will not. He will keep you. God is faithful. He will do it. You will overcome and persevere because the power and the spirit of God is who saved you. And the power and spirit of God is what dwells within you. Perseverance is being kept by God in a course of action and belief that continues in commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the end. Lots of people will say, I believe, and will show up here from time to time, but we will know the ones who do because they will persevere until the end. Not that we won't have times in our life of trial, and kicking back against God, but he will bring his sheep that wander back to the fold. Jesus says in John 10, 27, 29, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, now that includes no one else, and that includes you, yourself. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. We are sanctified and preserved until God calls us home or Jesus returns 
and we are glorified. Now death, the end of human life in many ways, old, young, sickness and illness, accidents, tragedies, happens in various ways and we don't know when it's coming. But when we die, we wait, just like we wait for the return of Jesus Christ. And when he returns, we're raised with him. And this perishable body, or if it's in the earth, that the king body will meet up with his glorified body, and we will be given a new body and perfected, and we will be glorified. It's the receiving, glorified is the receiving of our perfected body, united with our souls upon the return of Jesus and for eternity. That day will come. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 8.30 when he says those whom he predestined, he calls, and those he calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he's going to glorify. And he says it in past tense as if it's a guarantee. Count on it. That it will happen. That day will come. It is God from start to finish, and it is glorious, and he calls us not to argue about it, not to call him unfair about it, but to rejoice in it, to rest in it, to proclaim it. And so that's my three points of application for you today. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. All of this, right, that says Jesus will save them from their sins. He's doing this. Jesus, Emmanuel, will dwell with us. He's doing it. So we live. We're saved by grace, but we live by grace, depending upon the favor of God. And we rest in that. We don't have to strive. Once Jesus declares and makes us right with God, we live right with God. And we rest in that. Our striving to be right with God ceases. We stay in that right with God because he keeps us in that right with God. So rest, joy to the world. We sing it, right? You don't have to prepare him room. He'll prepare his own room, and he's going to prepare you a room. And we praise him, right? We were saved to declare Proclaim his excellencies. So we praise him. We rejoice in what he has done. We proclaim it. If you're going to share the gospel with somebody this year, this season, it has to mean something to you, does it not? It has to be real to you, does it not? We're not just trying to get people on our team. We're not just trying to fill these seats or fill these seats, I should say. A few of them in there. That's not what we're here for. There are sinners in the hands of an angry God, and we are sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it has to mean something to us. We have to have that rejoicing in our heart, and we share out of that. We share and we say, look, I'm not better than you. I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have done these things, and this is what God has done to me, and this is what God has shown to me. And I, I care about you. 
And this is what I'm sharing to you. I'm not sharing to better yourself and get your life together. That's not what God shared and did for me. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. So we rejoice in it. Let heaven and nature sing. Right? Let's be people of praise this day. We come tonight, I want to hear the loudest singing we've ever sang in this church. Be people of praise. We evangelize. We proclaim it. We repeat the sounding joy. We receive and share our king. Proclaim it. It's a fountain within us. Welling up. The pressure is welling up. The love of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength and it's welling up and we feel it in our bones and we can't do anything but proclaim it. And we can't change the hearts. We can pray for the hearts. We can proclaim the gospel to the hearts. God is the one who changes the hearts, but we proclaim it to them. And we say, God, they're in your hands. Save them, Jesus, this season. So if you do not know him, in this way of salvation. I pray for you that today would be the day if you would like to talk to me after church about it. I'll be out there. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I pray today would be today. If you have known him, if you do know him in this way, I know this season can be tough. It can be hard. It can be difficult. Remember your first love. Remember the God of your salvation. Come to him. Cry out to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are in your hands. That you saw us in our death and decay of our sins and said, come out. You breathe new life into us. You live the life we should have lived. You died the death we deserve to die. Because of you, we are children of God. So I pray, be with us. Let your glory, let your love be what sanctifies us and makes us holy. Be with us this day. We pray in your name. Amen.